3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nation's true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land on which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. And good morning, listeners. You're listening to 855 AM 3CR Thursday morning breakfast. And this morning in the studio is myself, Carly, and then later on I'll be joined by Max. Um, and it is 7.03, and the date is the 14th of November. Um, we are looking down the end of the um, 2019, um, and... It's coming up to festive season, um, but on the show this morning, um, we're going to be talking about some pretty heavy issues. Um, we're going to be speaking with Paddy Manning, um, who will be speaking about the upcoming, upcoming Senate vote um, in regards to the Medivac legislation. We're going to be listening to some audio um, from last night, um, some Walpuri Mob delivered um, some statements from the community up in Yundamu um, in regards to the um, passing away of the young brother, um, Kamunji Walker. And we're going to be then later on speaking with Sarah um, Bond, who is um, one of the producers from Beyond the Bars, which is launching tonight at 6.30pm at Mesa. So, yeah, stay tuned um, for some more content later on. And now we're going to be playing a song by Dreaming Now. And this one's called Australia Does Not Exist. Australia does not exist. Australia does not exist. Australia does not exist Australia does not exist oh, oh, oh. 1788 came upon this land Washed into the bay, stepped upon sacred sands Didn't recognize there was governance at hand Laws and conditions not based upon demands Tribes, clans, and families in line with sacred chants Songlines, stories, blessing, woman, child, and man Stars, constellations, formulating plants Bountiful flames of medicinal plants Spouts beyond the physical, beating our dance None of this dreaming, unfolded by chance But they didn't see this majesty right before their eyes Liberal us as savages and plotted out the minds took us star formations to represent their plot not realize the natural essence brought in through those knots busy painting laws to sunset by rocks deny your very ways to be worked out of sight out of mind spotted laws this landscape never defined in the previous 60,000 plus years of time that said Australia still has seen a crime when they push aside the matters and it's bonded in the what they be selling is men. Australia does not exist. But they keep on trying to tell it. Australia does not exist. Yo, it's straight up illegitimate. Australia does not exist. Yeah, it's 
Those who take that land, take it for our earth. Those who take a stand, we'll kneel before the throne, kneel before the crown. Hands on the ground, then we'll take all the kids. Hush, don't make a sound, nothing but savages. We'll show them how they're supposed to live, and if they don't assimilate, I guess we'll have to demonstrate our superiority in every single way. And remind them how we've conquered them every single day. And what better way to do this than to give this land a name? Australia, yeah, the great land that was claimed. Man, it ain't gonna work. Watch us grow like flowers if we come from the dirt. The earth runs deep. Our people came just to reframe the pictures of the past so my people know where we came from. We've been here all along. See, Australia don't exist, just another damn man. Australia does not exist. What they be selling is myth. Australia does not exist. But they keep on trying to tell. track there was Australia Does Not Exist by Dreaming Now. And welcome, Max, into the studio. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. I feel like it was I was I here last week. It's hard to say. <laughs> I feel like I've been a bit absent. But good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to Thursday Breakfast. Thank you, Carly, for holding the show while I was getting you coffee and a biscuit. Oh, thanks for that. <laughs> it's important. It is. What day? It's the 14th of November. Oh, my God, we're halfway through November. Mm. I know. Festive season. Six weeks left of the up. year. Mm. We're doing so well. We're almost in summer. Although you wouldn't know from this weather, would you? No. It has been a bit strange in Melbourne recently. I mean, it was quite warm last week, and now it's back to being a bit of a cold snap. Is this your first Melbourne spring? Mm. Although it's, it's almost over. It's true. Blink and you miss it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to let us know that um, Kate Kelly, who usually does our news headlines, is unwell this morning, unfortunately, and she's been away for the past few weeks, which is why I haven't heard her. But I will be bringing you some news headlines this morning. So we might jump into that now. Yeah? Okay. So here are some news headlines on today, 14th of November. 
So first up, following rallies around the country in support of justice for the family of Kimanji Walker, a Northern Territory policeman has been charged with one count of murder over the shooting of the 19-year-old Walpiri man and released on bail after an out-of-session local court hearing. The announcement comes after days of demonstrations by the Unamu community members in the remote township and solidarity protests that happened around the country last night. We'll be bringing you more on that later. Um, and also it's important to note that this is only the second time a murder charge has been laid out before a coronial inquest into a death in custody. So it is really significant in that regard. Secondly, on Monday, it was the final day of oral submissions into the inquest of Aini Tanya Day. And the family of Aini Tanya Day argued that individual police need to be held criminally accountable for the death in custody of Yorta Yorta woman Aini Tanya Day. If there is no criminal investigation, there will be more deaths in custody, the family says. Aini Tanya Day, who was a 15-year-old Yorta Yorta grandmother, was woken up while she was asleep on a V-line train, then fell and suffered a head injury while in police custody on December 5th, 2017. She died two weeks later. The Day family is arguing for three main things. For individual police officers to be held accountable through a criminal investigation. For Victoria Police, V-line and Ambulance Victoria to be held to account through a finding that systemic racism was the cause of Miss Day's death and for a recommendation for police to stop investigating other police. The coroner is expected to hand down her findings in March. Annie Tanya Day's daughter, April Watson, also spoke powerfully at the rally last night. And finally, a pill testing trial that has been given its support by the City of Melbourne. So Lord Mayor Sally Capp has backed a pill testing trial with the Council voting to endorse a submission backing draft legislation being submitted to State Parliament by Greens MP Tim Reid on Tuesday night to trial a free mobile pill testing service at festivals and fixed site laboratory for drug analysis. The report says that pill testing at festivals has operated in a number of countries around Europe since the 1990s, with evidence suggesting it changes drug-taking behaviour, reduces harm and provides crucial information that keeps people safe. The report also says that true trials at Groove in the Moon Music Festival in Canberra in 2018 and 19 were a resounding success. And so they have tentatively expressed their support for that, um, the pill testing trial. And that's all with news headlines this morning. Although also just a bit of a heads up that it's Trans Awareness Week this week as well. And so we might be talking a little bit more about some events and other great things that are happening for Transgender Awareness Week later in the show. Mm, absolutely. And hopefully some interviews next week as well. Um, and now we might launch into um, a recording that Beyond Zero Community has provided, um, and it's the New South Wales bushfire victims in Canberra delivering a message to the government. On the 12th of November, New South Wales was declared in catastrophic fire danger. This is Vivian Langford reporting for Beyond Zero Emissions at Radio 3CR in Melbourne and Radio Skid Row in Sydney. I went to a SNAP rally outside the New South Wales Parliament where hundreds had gathered. An amendment to the environment and planning laws was to be debated that day so that climate change would no longer be a consideration. We've had two historic legal decisions here at Rocky Hill and Bylong Valley where coal mines have been rejected partly because of the climate impact of the coal they would export. Now the New South Wales government wants to remove that obstacle so new coal and gas projects can go ahead in this state. 
But today, country people and even the suburbs of Sydney are in catastrophic danger. 600 schools have been closed, 30 extra ambulance crews are on duty and a million hectares have been burned out already. The Deputy Prime Minister said that bringing up climate change during a fire disaster is disgraceful and that we don't need the, quote, ravings of some pure enlightened and woke capital city greenies at this time. The member for Melbourne said that Morrison and McCormack have done everything in their power to make catastrophic bushfires more likely, and I suppose he's referring to their promotion of coal and gas. Now, the media have made a meal of this, arguing to and fro, and late at night I've heard horrible commentaries as if this was the main game. But now we'll hear from the real country people who've come all the way down to Sydney to stand shoulder to shoulder with us inner-city raving lunatics and to show that now is the very best time to make a plan to prevent worse climate change. We don't need to talk about it anymore. We need to plan how we're going to manage it. We hear from Simon Clough, who's president of Lock the Gate Alliance, and then we hear from a young couple, Aaron and Fiona, whose house tragically burnt down on the Friday before this meeting. Despite this tragedy, they wanted to talk to us about climate change. Aaron showed us a small barrel that had escaped the flames, and as he emptied the ash and glass onto Macquarie Street, he said, That's my home. This is what the climate and ecological emergency looks like. Right there. That's what people are facing today. Now, here are the speakers on the catastrophic fire day. The head of the Rural Fire Service says the the catastrophe unfolding across New South Wales today is unprecedented. Unprecedented means this has never happened before. This is new. The climate has changed. On Friday and Saturday last week, there were 17 fires at emergency level, simultaneously, hundreds of kilometres apart, and dozens more are still burning out of control in 15 or more local government areas across this state and Queensland. The fires have killed three people and injured many more. They have left people homeless and killed wildlife and raised hundreds of thousands of hectares of irreplaceable forests including World Heritage Rainforest, that has not seen fire for centuries. We are here this morning to stand with those across the country affected by bushfire. Please donate in the buckets and in the Facebook page for this event today, there are online links to donate. And we are also here today because while people are retreating from the fires caused by climate change, this New South Wales Parliament will be debating a bill that will remove the requirement for planning authorities to consider the impacts of climate change in new coal mines and gas fields. And they are doing this in direct response from pressure of the mining lobby. We are here because in Instead of acting to prevent this cataclysm, our government is voting today to ignore the contribution New South Wales coal mines make to climate change. And we are here today because emergency services deserve more support in fighting this unfolding crisis. 
The emergency services themselves have told our government they lack the resources to deal with extreme weather being brought on by climate change. But the government is not listening. And to those who say it is too soon to talk about climate change, I say, and my parents say, it is too late. It is not soon enough to be talking about climate change. To anyone who says climate change is an inner city issue, I want to let you know that my local council area, the Mid Coast Council, and the council area of Gleninus that was also ravaged by fire on the weekend, both passed climate emergency declarations in the last few weeks. Climate change is an issue that people in the country care about and are living with today. Yeah. It's my privilege to introduce Simon Clough. Simon was the Deputy Mayor of Lismore City Council. He's also a landowner in the Northern Rivers who was recently affected by the fires on the weekend. Please join me in welcoming Simon Clough. I too would like to uh, thank the uh, Eora Nation uh, and acknowledge that we've never ceded land they, to, the, to them. Uh, they've never ceded it to us. Um, and I'd like to also talk a, a little about uh, Bunjilung country, where I'm from. I've, uh, I'm a country person. Uh, the leader of the National Party might be interested in that. But I stand shoulder to shoulder with you loony lefties or whatever, because climate change is real. And we are experiencing it at this moment. As I speak, there's a, a fire on the ridge about five kilometres from our property. Uh, fortunately, some other people are there, mainly the fireys, because our valley and the valley beside it have all been evacuated. This is the, the Channon area of northern New South Wales, rainforest country. It is as dry as you can imagine. And the fires... Uh, we have no idea what's going to happen next. And just for a moment, think of the 600 schools that have been closed today because of the catastrophic, catastrophic situation. 600 schools. Two months ago, these people behind me were, were tweeting and squeaking about students going on strike for climate. <laughs> now, this is not without irony. And I think it's time that we called out what is really going on here. Now, for a moment, just think about the revolving door between the Minerals Council yes. uh, and the senior positions of political advisers within the government here and certainly within the government in Canberra. We have their donations, you know, and those donations are fueling the climate catastrophe that we have here. They are not revealed. We need a, a national ICAC, and it's corruption that's destroying people's lives and it's destroying our natural biodiversity. In our area, over 100 koalas have died in fires. Because it's not just koalas. It's the birds, it's the reptiles, it's the mammals, it's the whole biodiversity of our areas. And already there's been twice as much country burnt out in uh, New South Wales as there has been in the whole Black Saturday fires of Victoria. So we are facing an extraordinarily, extraordinary crisis and it's shame on government that is not prepared for us. It's shameful. What I would like to see is this day and this horrendous situation become something of a Port Arthur 
for uh, our country where people will say with one voice, enough is enough. 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 And I hope that that will encourage uh, our leaders to actually develop plans which are going to lead us through this. We're going to actually see some leadership. You know, we're going to see Berejiklian taking a constructive role. We're going to see the coal fondler, who's in camera there, uh, actually taking some action to look at how they can protect the, the humans of our, our nation, but also its extraordinary biodiversity. Because as I say, we just got to do it and do it now. It's already probably way too late and enough is enough. Your state MP, and you can ask that the government withdraw the environmental planning and assessment amendment. You can call on them to boost funding for the RFS, the National Parks and Wildlife Service, Forestry Corporation and Fire and Rescue New South Wales to make more emergency funding available now. And you can call your MP and ask them to get New South Wales on a path to net zero emissions and urgently adapt to the impacts of climate change. Right there. That's what people are facing today. These guys tragically lost their home on Friday night. Um, and they've just made the effort to drive down uh, from the coast this morning um, to come and speak to us today. So please welcome um, Aaron and Fee. But as, as we left uh, and we sat there in safety, I realised that my parents, my mother is here today, um, were unaware of the danger. People up there were using the, the rural fire service apps. Um, they were relying on uh, notifications from the fire service. These weren't getting through. The mobile towers up there, I heard they have three hours of backup power after the power goes down. People are waiting in fire fronts thinking that everything is okay right now and fires are coming towards them. I hear Gladys Berejiklian talking about that uh, we are well prepared. I have friends now that are at risk and they're relying on a system that is flawed. People should know this. I, I have the biggest respect for the local fire brigade, for, uh, for Daniel, for, uh, for Andy, for Damien, these people who risk their life for Lucas to save my parents' house and to rescue so many people on Friday night. Um, and it's not about that, it's about that we're not prepared for the, the climate catastrophe that's approaching. We have uh, politicians talking about hopes and dreams and they're talking about, they're talking about heroes, they're talking about miracles, you know, thoughts and prayers. This is the stuff that I read to my three-year-old daughter. This is not reliable, this is not sensible uh, um, policy. You know, we, there's people now, today, their lives are at risk and we're talking about thoughts and prayers. This is not good enough. We need to, I brought with me today, um, I don't know, this is a bit funny, but in this bucket is my house. Um, this is our old compost bucket actually. It's really weird stuff that survives and stuff that doesn't. I saw um, a glass that was melted 12 we had 12 mil thick glass windows and it's pools on the ground i saw um 
logs that were this round, three hours after the fire front went through, were just piles of white ash. They're gone. Um, this bucket survived for some reason, but I don't think people know about what it's like up there. People are staying on these properties and, uh, and thinking they can fight it. They're talking about heroes on the news. And uh, they're thinking with their garden hose they're going to save themselves. Their family are realising that they're going to die and they're driving unprepared into fire fronts to save these people. The media is talking about heroes. We need to talk about realistic things. It's the time for hopes and dreams and miracles and heroes. This is not about unicorns and fairies, man. This is about people's lives. It's only going to get worse. We have, they want to wind back uh, climate, po like climate policy now when people are dying from climate change. The scientists, you think this is a, this is a, um, a coincidence? The scientists are telling this is going to happen. The, the, uh, the, fire, the fire chiefs want to meet with our Prime Minister and telling him this is going to happen. And it happens and they say don't talk about climate change. It's not good enough. The time is definitely right for talking about climate change. For me, there has never been a better time to talk about climate change. <laughs> when we expect the government to be looking forward to take action on the climate and ecological emergency we're in, we're in. We need to start addressing the causes of climate change and not make it easier for coal and gas companies to pollute. This is what the climate and ecological emergency looks like. Right there. That's what people are facing today. I, don't, I know it's not pretty, but that's the truth. Stand together by donating directly to the Rural Fire Service and do the best in our communities. People band together to pick up the pieces. And we are here today to band together, to call on the government to stop ignoring climate change and to stop allowing worsening bushfire conditions. We will not let them get away with inaction at anyone's expense. I am asking you today, please call your local member and ask them to oppose the environmental planning and assessment amendment. Importantly, ask them to keep the consideration of climate impacts in our planning system. This is what the climate and ecological emergency looks like. Right there. That's what people are facing today. Thank you for listening to this news item from Sydney Parliament House. My name is Vivian Langford at Radio 3CR and also from Radio Skid Row in Sydney. Our main show is the Beyond Zero Emissions Community Show, 5pm on Mondays at 3CR. Good night and good luck. We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're 100% cotton and Australian made and you can get one for just $30. They come in black, dark grey and a cool light grey. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one.
QR code is an LGBTIQA plus health podcast made by queers. Across eight episodes, hear us engaging with our communities, discussing diverse and intersecting topics on In Your Face on the last Friday of every month or download from 3cr.org.au forward slash QR code and follow us on Facebook at QR code 3CR funded by the City of Yarra. You're listening to 3CR, 855 AM. And just before, we heard some audio that was recorded by Beyond Zero, um, and it was uh, the New South Wales bushfire victims in Canberra delivering a message to the government. And... And now we're going to be talking with um, journalist Paddy Manning, who's joined us on the show before, to talk about Medivac legislation and the conditions that people seeking asylum are being kept in on PNG at the moment. Good morning, Paddy. Yeah, good. Thanks heaps for being back on the show with us. No, no problem. Um, so the Senate sat this week, um, and we, you know, we'd all been wondering whether we would see the um, Medivac legislation rear its head again. Um, can you give us a bit of a rundown about where are things at with that legislation at the moment? Well, clearly they haven't got the numbers. So the government um, is trying to persuade um, Jackie Danby, the independent Tasmanian senator, to uh, back the repeal of the Medivac laws. And um, so behind the scenes, there is clearly uh, negotiations going on. Uh, but the government has said, and uh, uh, the Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton said last week, uh, it's not going to bring the repeal legislation on, to bring the debate on, unless it um, you know, can um, you know, be confident of an outcome. And so the, 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 the problem for journalists is that... Um, you know, Jackie Lambie, who holds the balance of power on this bill, uh, will, uh, is not talking, uh, about what her, um, which way she's leaning. Uh, so there's a kind of pressure is ramping up, but at the moment, um, yeah, there's been no sign of, uh, bringing that debate on in the Senate this week in the Senate only sittings. But what you are seeing is, uh, you know, uh, Dutton has flagged previously, you know, he knows that, you know, one of the main concerns that Jackie Lambie has, um, you know, um, staked her political career on is veterans. And you have seen the Prime Minister flagging the possibility of um, a Royal Commission into veteran suicides. And, you know, joining the dots, it's not hard to see that uh, that may be part of a deal um, to get Jackie Lambie's support um, for the repeal of Medivac. Lambie's already said that she's not going to do kind of pork barrel deals, which, in which, you know, um, you know, X amount of money or, um, you know, facilities or, uh, you know, whatever, uh, will be offered to Tasmania in exchange for a vote. She's already ruled out that kind of deal. So, um, so, but maybe if she was being offered a, or dangled a, um, you know, uh, Royal Commission into Veteran Suicide, that might be something that would, um, you know, form part of her legacy in which she would find difficult to resist. Mm. And so let- but, I mean, I should say, Max, I'm uh, speculating there. Uh, you know, yeah, certainly, we're, you know, we're, we're not seeing, um, you know, we're not seeing kind of daily um, kind of back and forth in the media about it because it's obviously extremely um, uh, secretive negotiations going on. Mm. And so maybe if we can now shift to talking about 
the very real impacts that the you know that this this sort of limbo that this legislation this medevac legislation is in is having on people's lives um, on people seeking asylum's lives who are in um, many of whom are in Papua New Guinea at the moment can you give us an overview of what is going on with all the men who are on um, in the Manus Detention Centre where are things at now? Well, there is no Manus Detention Centre now. It's gone. It's closed. And so I think um, this is only slowly kind of dawning on the public um, that that chapter is over. Um, so the contracts to admit, you know, most, there's only four people left on Manus Island, as I understand. And I should preface everything I'm saying by uh, pointing, you know, that, that it's not easy to get numbers um, and it's not, you know, the... the the, the department and the government are not putting out, you know, transparent information about who is where, um, you know, on a daily basis or anything like it. Um, so uh, it's it it takes a lot of phone calls to work out, um, you know, exactly what's going on. But but the situation, as I'm told, um, is that there's only four people left who had sought asylum in Australia who are left on Manus. One is studying a family and wants to stay there. Uh, he's now married and has. Um, kids. Uh, the others are either expecting to be charged uh, with criminal charges. Uh, I understand one relates to an assault, an alleged assault, I should say. Uh, and then the two are actually in jail. Um, so over the time that they've been there, clearly they've you know fallen foul of the law, and now they're in jail. Um, so, but all of the detainees are now moved to Port Moresby. And what's happened is that uh, a now, there's about 320 um, uh, asylum seekers in Port Morsey, as far as I can tell, in rough numbers. About 70 of them, um, and stop me if I'm prattling on, but about 70 of them are expected to go to the states under their resettlement plan. Uh, that leaves roughly 250. Now, about 50, um, it's, I think the exact number is 47, are in a new detention centre, which was built with Australian money, uh, which is located alongside a uh, PNG prison uh, at a place called Bomana. And uh, that is run by a company, The uh, again, it's outsourced, but the uh, management of that is run by a company called Controlled Outcomes. So, you know, your listeners would be familiar with the controversy around the Paladin contract with $423 million contract uh, that was awarded without tender to a firm based in Kangaroo Island um, and uh, which ran the security at uh, Manus. Now, Paladin's contracts with the Australian government will be um, expire at the end of this month and uh, Paladin has been, you know, ferrying, um, you know, asylum seekers around various hotels, uh, putting them under curfew in Port Moresby. Uh, but as I say, about 47 of the asylum seekers are now detained uh, in this new f- um, facility called Bomana. And to all intents and purposes, that's a jail they can't get out and uh, people can't get in. No one can get in. There's only one visit that's been allowed, and that's um, the Red Cross. So lawyers aren't allowed in. Uh, you know, family are not allowed in. They don't have phones. Uh, we actually don't know what's going on there. And when, um, except for reports that, you know, people can get from people who've left, um, 
it's operated by this this firm, Controlled Outcomes, which is joint owned by uh, an Australian and a PNG firm. Uh, the detention centre was built with Australian money, so it was $22 million worth of Australian money, uh, roughly, to build it. Uh, but the government, the Australian government, is pretending that it's completely hands-off and has no... Uh, uh, visibility of the conditions inside Bamana, uh, and no responsibility. So whether that washes legally, um, you know, I think it's a, it's a very big question mark. Uh, but, but the game, the end game, according to refugee advocates, is clearly to put maximum pressure on those people, um, to go home. Because mm-hmm. they've got three options. They can either go back to the country they came from, in most cases that's Iran or Syria or Afghanistan or Myanmar, Myanmar, uh, or they can uh, try and find um, settlement in um, you know, a third uh, country. So we know that um, they've been rejected for uh, resettlement in the US, most of these people. They're called negatives. Uh, and so that's not an option. Uh, some of them, a small number, not inside Bomana but in Port Moresby, are trying to get private resettlement sponsored by uh, former, you know, Manus, uh detainees um, in Canada. Um, the Australian government has on the table a resettlement offer from uh, New Zealand, 150 uh, to take 150 people a year, but the Australian government is refusing to accept that offer. So they're in, they're stuck. Um, they can't come to Australia. Uh, they can't, um, uh, they can't go, um, to the US, and so, uh, there's maximum pressure being put on, uh, put on them to go mm. back home, accept a, a, a package, uh, and go back to the country they came from. Absolutely. And Paddy, I'd like to ask you a bit more about what you were saying around the, the lack of transparency and the, essentially the strategic ignorance of the Australian government when it comes to, um, conditions inside, uh, this Bamana, you know, prison, essentially, prison-like facility. Um, in that, you know, we, we know that, uh, Green's immigration spokesperson, Nick McKim, asked a question, um, in the Senate, uh, estimate hearings around, whether, you know, whether the government is aware whether people are staying in solitary, con- being held in solitary confinement or not, and they're able to respond, we're not aware of this. Could you speak to, I guess, a bit of how the Australian government is maintaining that strategic ignorance while also clearly having, you know, a lot of control um, and responsibility for what is going on at the same time? Yeah, well, it's a kind of, um, it's, it's kind of arm's length and... Uh, you know, the uh, Home Affairs, Department of Home Affairs um, Secretary Michael Pizzullo in Senate Estimates, as you mentioned, he, he took on notice the question as to whether Australia, any Australian official has any oversight of uh, the conditions inside Bomana. Um, I think, you know, common sense level, we paid for the uh, facility. Um, the, uh, you know... Although the tender for the company who runs the controlled outcomes was, um, you know, run by the PNG government, uh, we, uh, Australian officials were part of the assessment of that tender. Um, of course, the contract itself is not public. Uh, you know, we have created the whole situation. So I spoke to um, a senior Catholic priest in Port Moresby, um, Father Giorgio Lucchini, who said, this is an Australian facility. Don't be fooled by, um, you know, the kind of uh, blocking that 
you know, you're seeing in the um, you're seeing in in Australia blocking of information and accountability or transparency by the Australian government. Don't be fooled. He's saying this is 100% an Australian uh, facility mm-hmm. and it's being run on terms and conditions set by Australia. Uh, and so the question is whether the government, you know, there's been a huge campaign and vigils over the weekend uh, to try and get, um, you know, people either. I mean, there is there are, there is a there are more people still being medevaced and pending until that repeal happens. There are more people still being medevaced into Australia out of uh, PNG. Uh, so um, some of the people in Bomana, I mean, the situation is incredibly complex, mate. So I'm sorry, I'm, I'm trying to paint this picture, but some of the people inside Bomana have actually been approved for medevac to Australia and being held there by the PNG government. Uh, other people outside Bomana are being threatened with detention in Bomana as soon as any places become available. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, there are also people being medevaced to Australia um, still. So another dozen uh, people came in on Monday, um, I, I was told. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's still this mounting pressure ahead of a decision on the medevac legislation. And... Um, and the PNG government wants the situation resolved. The Australian government, um, when it writes to, for example, Rural Australians for Refugees, as I mentioned in my article, have been writing letters to the Home Affairs Minister um, to try and get clarity on the situation of the people in PNG, uh, the, the outlook for the people in PNG, and uh, has been told that the Australian government believes that they, if they cannot find um, uh, a third country to settle in, uh, and they won't return back to their home country, then they will have to settle in PNG. Now, the PNG government doesn't want that at all. The PNG government has got thousands of asylum seekers streaming in from Erie and Jaya, West Papua, and uh, and has got its own problems with a you know looming referendum on the independence of Bougainville. So the PNG government wants the Australian situation resolved. And what's unresolved is the future of about 200 men that were formerly on Manus that are now in Port Moresby being shuffled around from various hotels, being threatened with detention in this new Australian-built uh, uh, detention centre at Bamana. Uh, and, and, yeah, it's a, it's a kind of... It's a painful situation. So you might think, oh, the closure of Manus is a step forward. It's mm-hmm. progress. Uh, but actually, the situation has become very unclear, and uh, and it's not safe uh, in Port Moresby. Even Father Lucchini was was telling me that, uh, you know, because those those people, it's not a Muslim country. Uh, those those um, asylum seekers are not welcome, and uh, they're not going to find work. Uh, it's not a rich country that can afford to provide, uh, you know, welfare and healthcare and everything like Australia, mm. uh, housing, etc. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible uh, sort of limbo situation. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Our guest is Paddy Manning. And Paddy, on that note, I just wanted to um, ask one final question because it seems, you know, when you're when you're talking about all of that, it seems really important to stress, like you were saying, that you know people may have seen in the headlines that you know Manus is the Manus prison detention prison is closing, but that that's not the end of the story, and that these 
that the imprisonment of these people seeking asylum continues, not only on PNG, also on Nauru, also on onshore detention centres as well. Um, and also to stress that, you know, say, for example, when you're talking about people being moved around hotels, that that doesn't actually mean that people are, you know, staying in some nice hotel somewhere, but rather are being kept in incredibly oppressive conditions, under curfew, under surveillance. Um, and then on top of that, that there are these people inside the Bermana detention centre being kept in torturous conditions that you were outlining before. Um, to yeah, yeah. It's um, I mean, I mean, what the reports that we do have out of Bamana is that they're getting the effect. Uh, I mean, Nick McKim, uh, the Greens uh, immigration spokesman, was asking Senate estimates whether um, what he was trying to establish was whether uh, rumours were true that um, people were being held in solitary confinement inside Bamana, and uh, he got no answers um, on that on that point. Uh, so that's a um, scary prospect that. Uh, you know, we actually, you know, in the Australian Parliament, Parliament cannot determine uh, whether whether that's whether solitary confinement is going on. The other reports that are coming out are that uh, the meals are the equivalent of one meal a day. So it's you know, people. The the bald facts are that people who have been you know detained for years um, in Manus uh, are now finding their conditions at Balmana intolerable after just a few months and are deciding to go home. Uh, so so that seems to be the Australian government's game plan, but mm. uh, you can only imagine how um, tough conditions are inside that, um, what is effectively a PNG jail. Yeah, and that they're, that they're holding people under such coercive um, conditions to try and effectively force people to go back to countries where it's not safe for them to be. And so on that note, Paddy, I just want to ask, how can listeners find out more, get involved, and also importantly, you know, centre the voices of people with lived experience of seeking asylum and folks from refugee backgrounds in this movement to, you know, try and actually get accountability um, on behalf of the Australian government? Oh, well, there, um, you know, I suppose there's a number of groups that are advocating constantly on behalf of the... um, um, on behalf of the refugees. I mean, some of these, I I should say, have been... Not, I have not, neither applied for refugee status nor, um, or been rejected, um, had their application rejected. So, uh, but, but, um, yeah, I mean, I suppose, you know, I was talking to the, um, former independent Catherine McGowan, the, the member for the Victorian seat of Indi, uh, who was campaigning on behalf of rural, uh, Australians for refugees. There were, you know, um, uh, rallies held, uh, rallies and vigils held over the weekend. Uh, there's plenty of ways to write, you know, write in, as uh, many people are already writing into their local MPs um, to try and uh, get, um, you know, because the, the, there is a solution on the table. The, um, the, in, first, firstly, the New, the New Zealand government's offer, um, you know, would would solve the problem. Uh, and and it's very hard. I mean, the Australian government says it's a backdoor way of getting to Australia, uh, but you know this this situation in um, in PNG, the PNG government doesn't want it. It's costing it an absolute fortune. Uh, the outcomes are terrible. People are sick, and uh, and so I suppose ultimately the, it, it is going to come down to a decision by um, Jackie Lambie, uh, and and. Because Medivac is working, the Medivac laws are working. The, the you know the, the the crisis that was supposed to happen because of the Medivac laws, according to the government, has not happened. So um, so 
I suppose, you know, it's a question of what Jackie Lambie will do. Exactly. And on that note, watch this space. Thanks very much for joining us this morning, Paddy. No worries. Thanks, thanks. You're on 3CR Thursday Breakfast. We've been talking with journalist Paddy Manning about the upcoming Medivac um, legislation, Jackie Lambie's role in that, um, in holding the balance of power, and then particularly about the complicity, responsibility and strategic ignorance of the Australian government when it comes to the conditions that people seeking asylum are being kept in on PNG in Bermana Prison at the moment. Mm, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Um, and now we're going to be um, playing some audio from the um, rally last night um, that was in solidarity for the Yundamu community and um, for Kamanji Walker. And we're going to be playing um, some statements that are being read out by Walpuri Mob, um, and they'll be reading out statements that have been delivered from the community in Yundamu. <laughs> My name is Jasmine Nungarai and I stand here with my sister Rachel Nungarai and my brother Justin Jungarai and Maloney. We stand here today on behalf of our Walpuri family and communities who are grieving the killing of Kumanjai Walker. As we stand here on Kulin land, we'd like to share Walpuri people's immense gratitude to the traditional owners for their solidarity and we pay our respects to your elders past and present. We also pass on their thanks to the wider community for your support. Our grandmother is from Lajamanu, around 500 kilometres north of Uindamu. I acknowledge my mothers Kathleen Nakamara and Margaret Nakamara who stand here in the crowd today. Our Lajamanu family want the nation to know that they stand in solidarity with Kumanjai and Uindamu. They want justice. We've been asked to read these statements from the Uindamu community so their voices can be heard. As we reside on Kulin lands, we ask that you stand in solidarity with our people. Hello. I'm Dungara. Um... Yeah, it's a pretty sad time right now. I just want to um, read out a statement here, and then I'm just going to say a few words. Um, this statement is from Henry Jackamar. Harry Jackamar. We are hurting and in shock from one of our young men being murdered by the police. He was minding his own business when they came in and shot him dead. They are saying he had a weapon. There was no weapon at all. It was a funeral day too. Everybody else in the community was at the cemetery. The coppers seen no one around and that's when they moved in to his grandmother's house. Absolute mongrels. Hundreds of us waited at the police station that night where they were keeping that young man in the cell. I don't know what they were doing with him. The community leaders and even Aboriginal police officers were not allowed in. We were given 
no respect at all. They expected our young people to riot that night, but they kept their cool and followed all our leaders. I am very happy with what the young people have done, getting the truth out on social media. Now there are police everywhere in our community who want them gone. They have been passing messages to all the white staff working here. You better leave, you are unsafe. What rubbish. They are spreading propaganda. We will be giving, we'll be driving into Alice Springs tomorrow and taking to the streets on Thursday. I encourage people all around the country to take to the streets as well. We are happy to hear there are lots of rallies planned on Wednesday. We have lots of people coming into town. People are coming from Tenekri, there are pitland mob, people coming from everywhere. To all the people coming along to protest, I want to say thank you from my people. This is unreal. The intervention has a lot to do with this. It has set us right back. The last time Walpuri people were shot like this, 90 years ago, with Coniston massacre, we were hurting. There is no fairness, honesty or respect. I want to say that um, the police need to get out of that community because they're not honouring our sorry business. Sorry business and our protocol, police aren't allowed into the community when there's sorry business going on. They shouldn't have gone in there and taken that man or taken that young boy or even hurt him during sorry business time. That's against our protocol and against our culture and they're going against our culture again by interrupting our another sorry business that they cause. We, they are walking around with rifles and they're intimidating the Yundamu people right now while they're going through sorry business. And that's not on. This has got to change. I'm sick of people oppressing us, keeping us down. We're just trying to do our culture. Just you, the minister or what? Uh, Michael Ghana. What a bloke. This bloke, or this new commissioner or whatever. I don't un understand when he says that he's worked with Aboriginal people in the community and saying that he was there breaking up all the riots. This is different now. This isn't breaking up community tribal um, stuff. This has them involved. They're the ones that did this. They're the ones that are causing the intimidation and causing us to be scared when we're supposed to be hurting. They come into our country and say that we're not teaching you more when you mob aren't listening to us. In community, my name is Nungaraya.
I'm going to read out a statement from Molly Wells Napaknari. She's a Wolpree woman. When I first heard what had happened, I immediately felt outraged and betrayed, but most of all, I felt sad. We came on Sunday morning to stand together in our grief and were presented with smirking police officers and no answers. Two mounted police attempted to bring their horses closer, an intimidation tactic. Someone requested them to leave and I heard one of the officers say, if you had any respect for the horse's life, you would stop waving that cardboard in its face. He doesn't like it. You're intimidating him. How dare someone who works for an organisation that attacks and creates and causes harm and kills people try to tell a peaceful protester they are intimidating? If you had any respect for human beings, if you had any respect for the traditional owners of this land, if you had any respect at all, you would be questioning the systems in place, the systems you benefit from, the systems that keep Aboriginal people down. I work in a school. We encourage all of our children to be strong and to be smart and to be proud of who they are and where they come from. But, we are, but are we just raising them to be disappointed and betrayed? I don't want to live in a world where we have to ask if our nieces and nephews will be next, our brothers and sisters. What has happened in Yindamu is an outrage, an injustice, and an event that we must not allow to be swept under the rug. I don't know how to trust the systems that have been set up for us to fail. We are hurt. We are angry, we are suffering. We stay, we stay strong and we stay together, but we should never again have to be connected by grief like this. Thank you for being here. I hope we never have to meet under these circumstances again. So those were words from Marley Wells Nakamnadi. If you want the statement, if media here want that statement, we can provide it to you. Uh, and I'd also just like to reiterate that all of the statements we've received, they have passed on their thanks to Kulin Mob and to all the mob who have gathered here today. And I'd like to pay my respects for having us on your country. And just then you heard some statements that were being read out by Jasmine Nungarai, Justin Jungarai and Rachel Nungarai. And they were reading out statements um, that were from the Yondamu community. And just want to read out um, the community's calls in Yundamu. So they're calling for a swift, full, independent investigation into the killing of Kamanji Walker for police accountability. Police must not investigate police. To see footage from Yundamu police station and body cam footage from Saturday. No police in Yundamu community for now. 24-hour full-time medical staff in the Yundamu community. Self-determination and culturally safe access to medical services, including Yapa oversight, uh, so Aboriginal oversight and staffing of medical clinics and use of bush medicine, cultural practices and law, alternative approaches to racist policing, funding for the funeral and sorry business and immediately hold an inquest into the death of Kamanji Walker in Yundamu. Um, and in regards to the full independent investigation into the killing of Yumanji Walker, there is a GoFundMe, so definitely try and check that out.
We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're 100% cotton and Australian made and you can get one for just $30. They come in black, dark grey and a cool light grey. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. Accent women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu, that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accent women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the. How the can country? people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are two, where there are armies there and terrorists there, and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accent women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. On Community Radio 3CR. Hi, Kerry Lee Harding here, and I want to invite you to the 2019 Beyond the Bars CD launch on Thursday the 14th of November upstairs at Mesa on Gertrude Street in Fitzroy. This is the message that we send to the black, yellow and red. I'm an Aborigine and I'll always represent. There'll be a panel discussion on justice, Indigenous incarceration and the power of radio along with music, food and of course free copies of this year's Beyond the Bars CD. Thursday the 14th of November, upstairs at Mesa, 6.30 to 8.30. See you there. Music uplifted me, took away the pain and stress. I no longer have a barricaded chest. You're listening to 3CR, 855 AM, Thursday morning breakfast. And now I want to play a track by Dreaming Now, which um, Dreaming Now performed last night um, at the rally. So this track is called Indigenous Land. Everywhere we walk upon in this world, one indigenous group or another has once lived there before for thousands and thousands of years. One of the most intricate and respectful ways to inhabit that place. We need to remember that. You're on indigenous land, original clans. Since the beginning of man, countless years out on this land. Living so grand, allowed to command. Intrinsic alarm, never disband. 60,000 plus. Following law before this sight of hand Through the seasons and sacred plants Injured storms for many lost fans From the desert down to the clay pan Tropics and mountains toss from to no chance Sanctified beaches, no equivalent Swept with the tide, deeply advanced But we just supposed so poised in a stance Out of wisdom, truth never by chance Close to his elixirs and trance in a dance Standing in love across every expanse Message the blind, it's in the hands Reflects from beauty from all that expands Infused with the magic, majestic and grand Murder your mind, thought of cool land No more body, call it the band Cuckoo, yalanji, band where is it you stand, man? Whose land you standing on? Know the history, know the facts. This indigenous land that you are on. Indigenous land is where you stand. Indigenous land is where you be. Indigenous land, it always was. Indigenous land, always will be. Indigenous land is where you stand. Indigenous land is where you be. Indigenous land, it always 
indigenous lands. Oh, graceful priest. Lest we forget the frontier wars and the genocide blueprint that does live on. Deaths in custody, you see, is no more prolific than ever for five big girls. Still, they gallivant and they're robust. Children again and again, so done in the blink of an eye. They get with us and then they are gone. We still love it, so these storms, 230 years on. Pillars in school, culture ignore. Fictions in city, it's a dawn. All of our sacredness shaking and sworn. All the while in indigenous land, we are living out that lies upon. Does your mind realize the storm? As they post in subliminal dawn. From ancestors on the rise on. The do not belong. A perpetual cycle of wrongs. It's been glorious. We will time bomb. Butcher all of our kingdoms. Still here, still live on. We still countless original, limitless indigenous nations. To no broken chain of law. Ancestors sing along. They giving us more. Endlessly, they giving us more. From the desert to the shore. They delivering law. They sing it at law. For, forever more. Indigenous land. Indigenous land is where you be. Indigenous land, it always was. Indigenous land, always will be. Indigenous land is where you stand. Indigenous land is where you be. Indigenous land, it always was. Indigenous land, always will be. Kerry Lee Harding here, and I want to invite you to the 2019 Beyond the Bars CD launch on Thursday the 14th of November, upstairs at Mesa on Gertrude Street in Fitzroy. This is the message that we send to the black, yellow and red. I'm an Aborigine and I do always represent. There'll be a panel discussion on justice, Indigenous incarceration and the power of radio, along with music, food and of course free copies of this year's Beyond the Bars CD. Thursday the 14th of November, upstairs at Mesa, 6.30 to 8.30. See you there. Music uplifting me, took away the pain and stress, I no longer have a barricaded chest. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation, and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view, the people who work in the prison system would have another, and I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick, and check out Doin' Time for news, views, and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island, to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. And the track we played before was by Dreaming Now Indigenous Land. It's 10 past 8 this morning on Thursday Breakfast, 3CR, and up next we're going to be talking with Sarah Bond, one of the broadcasters with Beyond the Bars. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Sarah. Sorry, you went on the line just before. Oh, good morning, guys. How are you? <laughs> Very well, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. 
Yes, thank you. Thanks for um, taking the time to promote tonight. Oh, always, always a pleasure. Um, to start with, Sarah, would you just be able to introduce yourself for listeners? Sure. I'm Sarah Bond. I'm Waka Waka and uh, Garawa, which means my country is up in southeast Queensland and up in the Gulf. So, but I'm born and bred up down here in Victoria, and and I'm proud of my knowledge and relationships in this local community. So I choose to stay down here and live down here and um, Bunurong and Wurundjeri country in my life. Mm. So, yeah, I went to the arts and now I've been, um, last eight years, I've had the, the opportunity and the, and the privilege to be supported by Kutcher and UMOB at 3CR to do this work with the brothers and sisters on the inside. Amazing. That's such a long stint. Um, for listeners, I mean, hopefully most listeners know about Beyond the Bars, but for those who don't, could you give us a bit of an overview of this incredible work that yourself, Kutcher and 3CR have been doing for so many years? Uh, uh, yeah, sure. I believe it started off as a, a smaller meeting with some mob at justice and, um, and I, I won't go into the names because I know I'll leave people out, but I'll give you the two names which have essentially been founders. Kutcher and Giller obviously started this nearly 20 years ago and, and it's had a ride of you know really dedicated broadcasters who've had long relationships with 3CR and with community working on it going back from the Lisa Belair days through to Sherry Lee and Johnny Mack, um, so Sherry Lee Hood, sorry, and Johnny McInnes. So they've all been involved in it, and some of the rest of us that have modelled work in the arts have, have, have sort of shown interest to engage and, and learn from those mobs. So we've been doing going in and out of prisons in the time that I've been here, we're working across developing up each year, you know, due to the demand, getting in new um, correctional facilities that we work with, but all up about eight each year we work with at the moment, mm. right across the state. Mm. And uh, we go in there and do workshops with the brothers and sisters for the help, get their help with producing the program, and then uh, actually go in and broadcast live during NAVOC week. Mm. And how was it like this year during NAVOC week? You know, we... we um. We spoke to Uncle Kutcher this year during NADOC and we, you know, a lot of listeners hopefully tuned in and heard the live broadcast. Um, what was your experience of it um, this year? Uh, each year we sort of, you know, most of the mob on the inside like to work around the theme of NADOC. So this year it was all about voice, treaty and truth. And um, quite, you know, it's entirety a lot to talk about. But a lot of the, a lot of the workshops we focused on tr- speaking truth um, you know, in, uh, edu- uh, the mob and public educating each other about what their understanding of what treaty was and what this process will mean to this community. Um, but yeah, for me, it was all, a lot of it was a lot about truth speaking. So some of us that weren't so comfortable in talking in that space, you know, chose to talk about truth and share some of our stories and and work out new ways of telling our story in a positive spin. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was a really positive thing if you using those three words, truth, treaty, oh, and voice. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you were saying you've been involved for quite some years now. What keeps you coming back and being involved in Beyond the Bars year after year? Uh, I get to work across an array of projects in the arts and cultural um, tourism platform within Victoria. And um, for me... Sometimes it's a bit of a disconnect with, you know, um, you know, it's, it's great for artists and support artists to bring their voices forward, but, you know, to get that community who 
to, which, which we're all six, six degrees of separation away from. You know, we're all very lucky we haven't, you know, uh, ended up in pathways alongside all of our brothers and sisters. And I guess, you know, it's important we capture their voice. We can't represent that voice of being incarcerated and dealing with the problems of coming out and then trying to get your feet under you need to walk further once you're outside. We need to get the voices from the brothers and sisters directly. And in addition to the live broadcast, a CD is produced every year for Beyond the Bars, and the launch of that CD is actually happening tonight. Um, we'll share the details of that in just a moment. But why, you know, why is it sort of important to have that twofold approach, both the live broadcast and then also producing a CD as well? Um, look, this year we also uploaded the entire broadcast from each of the prisons onto the website as well. So I don't know if that's still up there, but it gave an opportunity for families who who um, miss the broadcast because, of course, as we presented during NAIDOC week, most of our mob in the community that our, that our brothers oh, yeah. and sisters on the inside want to have here out at NAIDOC events. So it's really important to sort of allow their family to hear some of the gold stuff that comes out of these workshops and broadcasts through this presentation of a CD. But for those that are interested in listening to each uh, correctional facility and their entire conversation, it, it has been put up online as well. So it's just about making it accessible. Mm. Absolutely. And giving, well, I guess it gives the brothers and sisters something tangible to walk away with and go, this is what I created. And maybe think of a pathway working into broadcasting. Like tonight we've got um, two fellas, John and uh, James, sorry, James and... Sid, who both, you know, arrived to a place in their life where they're going to be sharing their stories of what it's like on the other side tonight. So who knows? Their, their involvement in tonight might have them show on a radio program at CCL in the next couple of years. Absolutely. Um, we, yeah, can only hope. Um, cause I do, I really reckon that Beyond the Bars is, it's some of the most phenomenal broadcasting that happens, you know, in the whole yearly calendar. I reckon it's definitely a highlight for everyone, um, here at 3CR. Yeah, to, yeah, that's right, because it's such a unique voice. And I know there are other projects that bring voices from the mob that are incarcerated inside, but not live, not at this platform. Mm. And it gives, a, it gives people a real responsibility for how they're using their voice and what they want to say. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, Carly here, Sarah. I'm actually Wang Yi, so just underneath Garawa country. Yeah, it's actually in, like radio is really interesting medium because a lot of people in prison don't have access to um, TV, but a lot of people do have access to listening to the radio. So um, it's such a yeah phenomenal project that 3CR has where you can actually go into prisons um, and broadcast from them. Um, what have been some of the challenges that you've found um, doing this work? Um, I think some of the challenges, I mean, as we access to any community, there's no challenges in, in, um, and having some consistency in the storytelling sort of process. Uh, sometimes some of the brothers and sisters aren't able to make it to the, to the workshop, so mm-hmm. they miss, they don't get to partake in the building of the show. And that's because there's so much going on within the system, you know, they've got to get out there and make their dollar. We're sometimes asking them to step away from their wage earning capacity to come and sit in our workshop. So mm. it's, uh, we're going to be really mindful of that stuff. Yeah. But um, I, I, I really think that this year, it, it, you know, I was really about trying to hand back 
for me, hand back much of the content to the brothers and sisters themselves. Mm. Yeah, incredible project where I think a lot of the time... Um, yeah, people in prison don't have a voice, um, and this is one of the opportunities um, each year that they, they do. Yeah, yeah and they've all got transistors in there. Like you said, it's the only access, but some of the mob that might have missed out in the workshop, they'll be listening in their rooms, listening to cells, with the else on bedrooms in their cells, and uh, on their transistors, we'll come down to the broadcast, halfway through the broadcast, and engage in the conversation as they might get some, you know, itchy, but... Uh, <laughs> they might get intrigued by um, so they'll come and join in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the beauties about radio as well. It's quite intimate and yet can be listened to by many people. Um, and it's such a yeah brilliant way of communicating. I think especially with mob as well. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the, you know a lot of the mob that have been in there for some time, they work real hard with giving those younger ones some confidence and. You know, and then also members that are new to the community and, you know, and having access to cultural conversations, you know, they, they really look after them and free them in their closet to have a yarn on, on, on radio. Hmm. And maybe we should share the details of um, the launch tonight. Yeah. So tonight at Mesa, this is the, the old Fitzroy Stars Aboriginal Gym in Gertrude Street, Fitzroy. We're going to have uh, for 6.30, 8.30, it'll be myself and Butch is going to perform and Kerry Lee's going to be emceeing and they'll be, uh, as I said, we'll be joined by James Seacombe and Sid Austin. So it'll be a, a good evening and uh, to hear firsthand from some of the brothers about their experience of being involved in the project on the inside and now on the outside. Mm. Absolutely. And always a good feed. Oh, sorry, you go, Sarah. Always a good feed, too, that you might put on for these openings. So come along and join us. Absolutely do get down there if you can. And last up, Sarah, you asked us to play a track for you this morning. Um, what's the what's the sort of the backstory of this track that we're about to play? Um, this year we worked with Lauren Prison and we had this wonderful uh, situation where some of the brothers had been working with other inmates in there and they had formed a band. And, of course, what else would you name a band on the inside other than Poison Band? So <laughs> these brothers uh, worked together some of them, it was the first time they'd picked up a guitar so, um, and, and, and written songs together. But uh, contraband, here they are. This is what they produced for us and recorded live at Modern Thanks so much for joining us this morning, Sarah, and everyone get down to the launch of the Beyond the Bars CD tonight at Mazar 6.30. Thanks, Sears. Bye.
words that no last dark could teach you. Let me bring you to youth by speaking the truth, living life to the fullest. Time passing by, faster than bullets, and I'm anxious. Yes, while I wait for death, music uplifted me, took away the pain and stress. I no longer have a barricaded chest. Yeah, we've done some criminal activity, but that doesn't mean we lost any of our dignity. Yeah.
You're on 3CR Thursday breakfast, 8.55am. It's 25 past 8. And that track we heard there was called The Message by Contraband. And it was recorded during um, NADOC week this week during the Beyond the Bars broadcast from Loddon Prison. And get on down to Mazar tonight, 6.30, for the launch of the Beyond the Bars CD. We'll be there. Hmm. And that's pretty much all we've got time for today, but I do just want to let you know again that it's Trans Awareness Week this week until the 19th of November, and next week, next next Wednesday actually, is Transgender Day of Remembrance as well, so we're going to be chatting some people on the show next week about that. Um, but there's a bunch of events happening this week to, I guess, yeah, celebrate and recognise Transgender Awareness Week, for example. Tonight, um, Minus 18 is putting on an event at RMIT um, at 6 p.m., I think, um, which is essentially around, um, it's called Beyond the Binary, and it's an introductory workshop diving into all things gender diversity. So if you want to find out a bit more and how you can, you know, support trans folks in your life, um, then get on down there to that. There's also, fun fact, um, uh, free breast screenings today by, hold on, let me find it. Wait, two ticks, just finding my news headlines. Um, yeah, free breast screens today for trans and queer people um, run by Breast Screen Victoria. So, again, jump online. Bookings are essential. Um, but that's in recognition of the fact that, you know, trans and gender diverse people face a lot of barriers um, to accessing health care, um, including things like breast screens. So if you're interested in that, if you're over 40, then get online to find out more about that um, and jump on you know, Facebook or the internet to find out more events that are happening for Trans Awareness Week. And also just maybe on that note, I just want to let this know, you may have noticed in the past few weeks I've changed my name. Um, so I'm still the same person, same same team here at Thursday Breakfast, but my name is now Max as well. So felt like a, a good little moment just to share that with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Max. Um, and, yeah, that's all we have time for on the show this morning, but we're quickly going to play a really great track. It's called American Honey by Sophie Grophy. So see you next week. Wait.